a few seconds away from switching to the redundant sense sequencer. T minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4. We've gone for main engine start. We have main engine start. This is it. Welcome to MTV Music Television. The music will continue non-stop. We'll be covering the latest in music news coast to coast all day, all night. You'll never look at music the same way again. I want my MTV. I want my MTV. From Los Angeles, this is Dave in the City. Brought to you by Locks of the Week Radio. Now, here's Dave Medina. Good evening, music fans, and a really special privilege to have you all here on this very special day in the history of music, in the annals of history, whether it be with television or the media or even really in its own its own sense, society. It's really great to have you here in the city on Locks of the Week Radio. Our co-host tonight, by the way, is our friend John Ogg, and he'll be joining us in just a moment to uh, break down with us the... Revolution of music and honestly fashion and culture and just about everything that I think started on this day 30 years ago. It was the idea of a series of executives and many other people who created, crafted, molded, and morphed the station that would eventually become MTV, Music Television. The concept was simple. Play music videos all day, every day, pretty much around the clock. Run it like a radio music station and have some of the most eclectic, unusual, but very interesting and well-knowledged personalities to do it. Guys like veterans like J.J. Jackson and, Al- and Mark Good- Goodman, and then fresh faces like Alan Hunter, Nina Blackwood, and Martha Quinn. And they all guided this channel through its infancy into what it became, which was a phenomenon, really. And it got to the point where MTV was so popular... And so influential that it was influencing the music itself. Pretty impressive for a station that was initially provided to be an arm of the Warner Amex Satellite Entertainment Company. Pretty amazing indeed. And now we bring in our, our co-host, John Ogg from Atlanta, Georgia, from the Georgia area, excuse me. Uh, John, welcome to the program, and, well, and we, I'm, really pri- pri- excuse me, I'm really privileged to have you co-hosting with me tonight. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, Dave. How are you? Doing well myself. And I just want to remind everybody here that in about nine minutes, we're going to interview with half of the Buggles. That would be the keyboardist Jeff Downs, who is currently on tour with Yes, as they perform with the band Styx, who also was a pretty big, pretty big factor in MTV. Styx and 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 yeah, and excuse me, Styx and Asia both actually had been a big part of that. Jeff Downs has been a part of Yes and Asia and the Buggles, who aired the first video on MTV. Pretty exciting stuff. And that happened 30 years ago today, John. I mean, does it still strike you as amazing that it's been this long now, all the years? Where did they go? I know. I can remember sitting in front of the TV glued to it and uh, would watch it for hours. But uh, I didn't have cable at the, the launch date, but uh, shortly thereafter, another few months or another six months or so, we had cable, and I was glued to the TV for hours at a time watching uh, videos. It's very addicting. Even watching some of these clips on YouTube nowadays, watching one after another, concept after concept, vision after vision, and then all just kept together like glue by the VJs who who. Pr- 
pretty much presented these 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 uh, videos and did the news to go along with it. Pretty exciting stuff, and obviously over the years, just like its logo, the the format, the videos themselves, and the entire channel changed with the times. And I think that's the greatest tribute to MTV that there is. And MTV is the channel that never wanted to grow old. It stayed true to its original demographic, the young generation, and it continues to do that to this day. It's a true. It's a, an amazing success story, and one that I think early on looked like it was a. It looked like it may not happen. I mean, John, maybe by the time you started watching, it looked like it was a pretty reasonable. It was a pretty reasonably stable organization, but I think it's pretty clear that when it started, it was sort of controlled chaos. Would you say? Yes, and they they had those black screens in between the videos, well into its first year or two on air and just people always make you know mistakes starting out but they were really uh ahead of their time oh that's I and mean, i think that's absolutely right i mean uh it, it just this whole concept of seeing the music that you you would listen to for years and years and years on the radio or on your record player or in stores or at discos or wherever you go now that you see the faces and the names behind the music, it really does add another dimension. It's sort of like when you watch a movie based on a book, and you've read the book, and you know the book, and you know the characters, but then seeing them on screen, it really gives you, it really fills in some of the details that you once missed. And, I mean, what are some of your other favorite aspects of watching MTV, besides the obvious of simply enjoying the music and seeing it all come together? Uh, what else uh, did you find about it that was really mesmerizing, John? Well, I liked uh, I liked all the VJs. All of them were really uh, likable, and um, they didn't seem to have a big attitude about themselves. But uh, it was nice seeing what some of these artists looked like because in the late '80s or late '70s and early '80s, a lot of artists wouldn't put their faces on the cover, so you didn't know what the artists looked like. So you could put a picture to uh, you know what they look like seeing their videos, and, and I was kind of shocked by several people seeing what they look like. There were a lot of odd videos in that first few years of MTV. No, no doubt about it, and I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that there was just a limited number of videos. The concept was so new that there just weren't that many people or artists or groups producing musical musical promotional t- videos, which would be used, generally speaking, to sell their albums to the company. But there were so few of them at that time, it's just that they had to go with what, whatever was out there, and that meant that they had to reach out in certain areas and kind of extend beyond their original intended uh, genre. And I think you saw it when you saw that first hour of MTV replayed last night on VH1 Classic, or, or if you've seen it uh, before and elsewhere, it's remarkable to see the kind of variety that existed, but I think that variety existed in a, for, in a sense because they just didn't have anything else to work with. John, I mean, when you think about... I mean, what were some of the most surprising artists that you remember seeing from the early days of MTV? Well, like you mentioned on Facebook earlier, the Lee Rittenauer video, seeing that on the first video, or at first day of MTV was kind of strange. And uh, seeing Rod Stewart five times, that was... He he had the market cornered for videos because it seemed like he was on every few hours on that first day. 
<laughs> so true. And I remember seeing a, a Pretenders video. This was a five-hour shift. The first, five, I think, the first five hours of MTV were were hosted by Mark Goodman. And in those five hours, I saw the same video by the Pretenders twice. And so it was pretty remarkable that they there was a little bit of repetition, but it kind of goes to show. Oh yeah, and the other one that really threw me was Cliff Richard. I mean, that's guys. I, I'm used to hearing him in like Light 102.7 or, or Coast 103.5, and here he is on MTV. You know, day one. It's pretty crazy. And it wasn't the only day he was on. He was on for quite a while, wasn't he? Yeah, he, he they those videos that they played on the first day. I mean, you saw them two and three years into. They were playing the Buggles you know, three and four years into MTV. Hmm. Now, no doubt. And, and, and so, John, any other opening thoughts that you had regarding MTV or, or, or the VJs or just any part of the whole culture, oh, the whole MTV phenomenon from the, its early years before we proceed into our exciting interview? N- no, not at this time. I mean, it, I like I said, I loved all the uh, VJs. I thought all of them were really good and personable and they became as big as celebrities as some of the musicians that were on the the channel that's actually an interesting point and i think it got to a fever pitch especially i understand in the midwest where the in in the beginning mtv was was broadcast because the big cities didn't have the channel yet it wasn't installed in any major cable systems in the mega metropolitan areas but if you remember the history of cable television a lot of it was was a lot of cable television was created because of smaller towns which could not receive television signals with their regular antenna. So cable was devised as a way to give people the opportunity to watch TV where otherwise they could not. But as an interesting side effect, they were able to receive some of these satellite services, and MTV was one of them. Thus, they became really popular in just the smallest little towns in Nebraska or Wyoming or what have you. And it's just become a new revolution. And the revolution began exactly 30 years ago at midnight on the eastern seaboard, specifically New Jersey, because I remember that that apparently they were only broadcast on one cable system at that time. And the first video that ever was launched, as you know, video killed the radio star by the Buggles. And I'm very fortunate to present to you this next interview which with uh, with Jeff Downs, who was a keyboardist of the Buggles, a two man group. The other being Trevor Horn, who had done the guitars for the for the group, and it just was a real treat. So this this interview was recorded a couple, just a few mo- moments earlier, and we present it to you here tonight in the city. Our next guest of the evening is keyboardist for the Buggles, Asia, and currently. He is on tour with the band Yes, performing live with sticks across the USA. Their next stop is at the Greek Theater here in Los Angeles, August 2nd. He is Jeff Downs. He's joining us on the program tonight. Thank you very much for joining us, Jeff. It really It's a real treat. Uh, hope everything's well. Uh, what, oh, thank you very much. Uh, and, and So today is uh, August the 1st. It's, it's the, the 30th yeah, anniversary. Yeah, I, I know. It's, it's, a big day. it's a big day in the calendar, forever etched on my, uh, on my mind, I think, that... Um you know, first of first of August, nineteen eighty one was when it all started, really. Yeah, and uh, you know, and and it, I mean, it must be just when you're looking back on, in uh, thirty years of MTV, thinking about how it how it began and sort of the relative the relative uh, chaos that went that went went on, and this video, this iconic video, becoming the first of uh, many 
it was called Video Killed the Radio Star, and you were privileged to be a part of that. Um, tell me a little bit about the story behind the song Video Killed the Radio Star. You wrote it with, along with Trevor Horn and Bruce Woolley. Um, what inspired the lyrics and the music? Well, I think I think the the, the lyric was largely um, was largely responsible, or, or Trevor was largely responsible for the lyric. I think that that um, he, he came up with the idea based on on, on a loosely based on a J.G. Ballard, um, some of J.G. Ballard's writings, who, who used to um, sort of focused on on, on sort of um, technology and, and how technology changed things, and, and I think that. Um, Certainly, video was inspired by a, by a short story called The Sound Sweep about this guy that used to go around recording studios actually sweeping the sound up on, a, on some kind of a hoover. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's sort of quite mad stuff, but I think that you know it, it kind of got Trevor thinking on the on the track. And I think if you if you actually go through the lyric, you know it's it's got a lot more to do with just the general reflection of how technology has changed the way that people. Um, perceive uh, well not, not just music but, but um, film and, and everything like that and it, it was it was you know how film stars when when they were um, famous in in the, in the talkies you know and then all of a sudden the, the movies came out and uh, uh, you know and, and, and they weren't they weren't popular anymore because you know technology had changed change really the perception of things so it's more to do with that and, and I think that you can reflect that today on, on things like the internet you know how people's perception of, of, of music and, and art and everything has changed as a result of that. That's a really good point bringing up the internet and how it's impacted the music industry as well it gets to a point almost now where MTV doesn't really represent music like it used to but you can I guess you can also say that 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 video music is still represented but it's just in elsewhere I was thinking of YouTube as a recent example um, comment a little bit about the music industry today and where it's gone and what would be the new version of MTV for today's young generation well I think I think you're more likely to see music videos on on YouTube than you are on MTV you know and I think that's that's kind of bizarre but uh, um, it, it, I, I'm not I'm not decrying what what they do now you know I just don't think that it really it doesn't have a, a lot to do with music you know when you think about shows like Jersey Shore and the kind of the flagship shows for MTV um, you know it, it, it's departed from a long way where, where it set out but I think you know that that's something that happens in you know in all all, all spheres. I think I think that the you know some of the radio stations have changed format. You know they were you know some of them become totally different entities from what they started out being. And uh, I, you know as I say, I'm not decrying that, but um, it's interesting the the way that that, that um, you know shops that, that, that used to you know serve, you know serve sort of general purpose stuff are now you know sell CDs you know and it's just the way that it goes I think that um, uh, you know the, the, the principle of the the record store and people queuing up to buy a new album by the by their sort of favorite band you know that those days are pretty well gone and so I think I think we you know we all have to accept change and, and, and uh, if you look at MTV uh, that that has changed considerably. Uh, no, no question about it. Our guest is Jeff Downs. We're joining us in the City Unlocks of the Week Radio, celebrating MTV's 30th year on the air. And speaking of MTV, when did you first hear of the, the uh, MTV channel? I mean, what, what were you doing at the time? 
Well, strangely enough, I mean, I, I wasn't in the States because, um, uh, you know, I've, I've always, always been a, a British resident. So uh, um, I, I think it was somebody called me up a couple of weeks later and, and said, oh, you know, there's this new channel started in... Uh, uh, in the states, and I think it was not—it was not coast to coast. You know, I think it was only on sort of um, in, in the main cities that uh, you could actually get MTV. You know, it wasn't well, when it first came out; it was uh, on cable, I think. So, um, and they said, "Oh, yeah, new cable channel." I didn't really think too much about it, to be honest, because uh, you, you know, you. you um, and they said, "Oh, well, actually, they started the whole thing with your—you know—your your your song video." And I thought, okay, well, you know. As time went by, you know, within a couple of months, they'd gone through the ceiling, and, and you know, MTV was everywhere, and that was, that was all the people were talking about. So it kind of it was a, a sort of belated um, historical fact that that, that um, I mean, it was it was almost two years after the song had been released anyway, and, and uh, it, it wasn't actually a hit in the states. I think it only got to about. 40 or something like that on Billboard. So uh, I mean, it was it was huge everywhere else in the world, but but in in the states, I don't know whether it was the trepidation of certain people in radio that, that thought they were promoting their own destruction by playing it, but um, uh, it was actually uh, not 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 really a hit in the states. But, but and yet, you know, now 30 years on, it is. It's sort of forever buried in um, American musical history. It's been that first video. I think what it represents is a, is a really, as we were discussing earlier, is just a real change of of the media and technology. But uh, but let's go back for a couple of years to when it was hitting big in 1979. It went number one in the UK pop chart. The video killed the radio star. And since the medium of video music hadn't really been established yet. Your met- the methods for promoting a, a, a single such as this were a little bit different. And I know that there was a program in, in the UK called Top of the Pops, which was a pretty big deal. And yeah. at that time, uh, comment on that experience, actually, for a second. I mean, that must have been a, a little bit of fun, I, I imagine. What was it like getting popular for the first time with this single? Well, it was, um, it was pretty amazing. I mean, I think the, the thing is that the, the video was more of a sort of, you know, they, they were considered in those days just commercial trailers, uh, but it was starting to great, gain a lot of popularity because people could see that it was it was a, a great way of not uh, not only promoting it in, in, in the domestic country, but being able to send, you know, send this uh, three or four minute um, piece of music visually that, that could get played on... on um, you know, all over the world on, on on television shows and stuff. So it was a kind of um, you know, it became a very very expensive and useful medium for the record labels. And I say I say expensive because I think a lot of the video companies and video directors that were coming up at the time could see the the, the potential in that that it was actually a very very valuable export for the record labels uh, in terms of um, promotion. So they could pretty much call the shots about how much they wanted to charge to make these things, and you know, as time went by, it became ludicrous. I mean, since then, obviously, it's become much more, um, much more uh, budget conscious. But uh, you know, it kind of went through the ceiling in terms of um, uh, promotion. But you know, just going back to top of the pops, that was something that that they would play, assuming that, that the. The, a single had moved up sufficiently quickly 
um, up the chart, had to move up a certain number of places, then they would accept that they would show uh, the video of that rather than the band appearing live. So um, uh, that was something that, um, because they showed the video, you had to use the actual original, you, you could use the original recording, whereas if you appeared as a band, you had to do some kind of um, a live appearance, which, you know, for someone like Video Killer, something like Video Killer Radio, so it would have been extremely difficult. <laughs> no, I think you're right about that, because the... It, the Buggles was ba- were basically a two-man band, and it was yourself and, and Trevor Horn doing the doing most of the instruments, recording them on top of each other. Yeah, performing it live must have yeah, been. Trevor, like... Trevor was the brains. Trevor was the brains, and I was the orchestrator. Mm-hmm. Basically, that was. <laughs> yeah, carry on. Sorry. Indeed, and so at, at some eventually, as we mentioned, the video was produced uh, somewhere in somewhere in, in the middle of all that in 1979. Uh, what was it like to produce a video of this nature? I mean, it looked like it looked very very exciting, new. Uh, it seemed a little bit retro retro as well because of some of the of the ode to old radio. Um, looking at it visually, did it, did it did you feel that when we when it was being produced that it was representing the song that you that had been written? I think so. Yeah, I think it, it's fairly faithful to the um, to the original concept of the song, and, and uh, um, I think when when we were given the go ahead to make the video um, with, with Russell Mulcahy, who obviously was quite well known then, and went on to to do uh, you know some very very high profile stuff with a lot of artists. Um, but he, he spelled out the story that he wanted to get across, and, and we did the whole thing in a day, and I think he spent a couple of days editing it, and that was it. So uh, so he, he had the he had the whole concept in his head, I think, and we just uh, we just ran with it. Fascinating. Our, je- our guest is Jeff Downs, formerly of The Buggles, currently with Asia and Yes, who are on tour with Styx as we speak. And just going back to uh, The Buggles for a second, that, that was not the only video produced by The Buggles. I know there are others. There's one for Elstree. There's one for uh, Living in the Plastic Age and, and probably a couple of others. Did you have any others that you, were, that you, that you thought were really, that you were fond of, of um, any other videos you were fond of? What the, the, that I've done, or that um, that I've seen other people. Oh, that uh, I was. I'll get to that in a moment. But I meant the the ones that were uh, the, of the Buggles' videos. Which ones have you had? Any others that you were particularly fond of? Um, no, I mean we we would we um, all the all the Buggles videos were done by Russell Mulcahy, who, as I said before, he, he was um, he was a sort of the man. You know, he did all the Duran Duran stuff, and they were great, like, like Rio and. Um, things like that. So he, uh, he he did a big one on them called um, Wild Boys as well. Um, all, all this kind of thing that that uh, yeah, it was it was very much an art form that was that was coming through. And, and uh, it was exciting times, I think, for everybody because we, you know, it was something that no one had experienced before. And so. Um, coupling that with with how MTV came about, you know, all of a sudden there was a, a channel that you could see all this stuff on, and, and I think that that um, that's what really appealed to people was the fact that um, you know all this this new art form basically had an outlet. No, most definitely. Now, now, like returning to the question, what was your favorite music video of the uh, first few years of MTV? Well, I think that. Um, there's some pretty, uh, you know, the, the, the Tom Petty stuff. I think was pretty, uh, 
was pretty wild. And, um, uh, so I think some of that stuff has come across very well. I mean, some of it was it was actually quite um, low resolution because quite a lot of the stuff was actually filmed on, on, on actual video cameras. So it has a certain it has a certain quality, you know, a certain kind of um, uh, I don't know, it was a little grainy, a little bit like a, the equivalent of, of Technicolor, you know, where you, you know you can immediately tell that it's not not normal film, and, and so uh, a lot of the stuff was from video camera. I mean, if, if I if I looked for a, a defining video, I think I think probably Aha was one of the the, you know, the Julian Temple video of um, Take on Me by Aha was probably one of the cleverest that, that have been put together around the, the first four or five years of MTV. That was one of my favorites too. It, and the concept was really quite not was quite interesting as well. The comic book translating into the real world. It was yeah. really yeah, really inter- entertaining. Yeah. yeah, no, it was very, very, very clever and I think that um that that sort of demonstrated the extent to to how people would you know, how seriously people were taking taking the uh you know the you know that, that that new medium, and I think that you know eventually you look at um, you know people like Michael Jackson were making you know there were like sort of mini movies being made you know it was massive budgets for the very purpose of, of promoting um, you know a, a pop song, which is incredible really, but uh, that, that was the way it was, and uh, I think in some ways the bubble kind of burst you know around about. When you when you had all the big hair bands coming in the nineties and uh, uh, you know I, I think that was pretty much when when the MTV bubble burst and, and I think you'd seen it all by then you know it was not something you you you'd be no more shocking you know that you could be no more inventive you know I think that, that it kind of reached a peak at that point. I think you're right about that because it was also about that time when MTV started to invest in other programming other than videos, and I think that was the bis- biggest reason why the videos themselves seemed they seemed to have run their course. Jeff Downs, our guest in the on the program tonight, and just out of now we we let's go back to 1982 for a second. The Buggles had disbanded by that time, but a super group was about to be formed, and you were a part of it. John Wetton, Steve Howe, and Carl Palmer and yourself. I mean, these were some big names in progressive rock, and when they came together, and they did videos of their own, obviously, but, but to the formation of a band such as this, it seemed, like a, it seemed like there was a lot of pressure behind it. Did you feel pressure joining a, a group with these established names? No, not really. I think that, that um, you know, I'd worked with Steve um, prior to that in Yes, so you know, I'd had my kind of baptism of fire, um, by being in yes, so I'd, I'd, I'd kind of, um, you know, I'd taken all that on board, and, and that didn't. Um, so it wasn't that aspect of it didn't faze me, but um, certainly, I, you know, out of the four of us, I, I had the least pedigree in terms of, you know, I, I'd not been a part of the big seventies uh, progressive rock bands like the other guys had, you know, uh, other than my stint in yes. So, um, so I was just the sort of, uh, I, I was the. Um, the wild card, if you like, in the whole thing, and I think that um, uh, it, it did. You know, it, at times it was fairly intimidating because I think, well, you know, I'm with I'm with the sort of rock and roll hierarchy here, and uh, you know, that's the little humble me from my uh, little pop background. But um, you know, having said that, I think that um, we we all hit it off really well together, and I, I don't think there was any any doubt that when we when we decided you know what who was going to be in the band and that was it we 
we, we kind of got our heads down and started writing a lot of material together and, and obviously I you know, that was when I, I forged my writing partnership with John and um, you know we're still we're still working on that today so it's been um, you know it's been a, a good ride and I think that um, you know Asia, Asia was a lot of really w was there at the front end of MTV and grew up with MTV and uh, uh, you know I think we're, we're very much part of that that whole development of MTV no no doubt about that Asia was a huge hit on MTV as well heat of the moment was re was played <coughs> quite often back in those back in back in the uh, back in 1982 when it first came out. I mean, it's a great video. I mean, it, it was really inventive, very visually stimulating. And it, but, but here's the interesting... Yeah, I, mean, oh. I, I think that, that, that that's what everyone was trying to do then. You know, they, they were trying to get something that was... Um, that was inventive. You know, you, someone else would come up with an idea and think, right, well, you know, I need another angle. And so someone would then develop another video that, that had a different slant on it. That was um, it was strange times really because all of a sudden that uh, you know musicians were suddenly being asked to act you know or turned into actors and uh, so some of it looks a bit cheesy in hindsight but um, uh, you know I think it's uh, you know you can't deny that that it is a pe it's period pieces and um, it's quite entertaining to see them now. Oh no doubt about it. Uh, just out of curiosity, which is your favorite Asia music video? Um, I think the. Probably the best one we did was um, was Only Time Will Tell. You know, I think that that was the the, the the girl acrobats jumping over the televisions, and that was a Godly and Cream one. You know, we did a couple with Godly and Cream off um, off the first album. They did Take the Moment as well, and then um, then we moved on to a guy called Brian Grant on the second um, second series of uh, on the second album. Mm -hmm. but, uh, and then I think we used. Roger Dean and Aubrey Powell on the third album. So, it was just, you know, it was all good stuff. It was all, everyone was always trying to, to get one over on a, another video. You know, they were sort of all trying to make Lost, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark or something. <laughs> no doubt. And, and tell me a little bit about the, about performing live. I imagine that the, but when, at the peak of, the, of their success, Asia was performing to really large crowds and arenas and maybe even football stadiums. Um, Growing from from being a band to being a supergroup with this kind of an audience must have been a real thrill, was it? Yeah, it was, it was good. I mean, it was, wasn't anything that, that we um, that we planned. I think that that you know when we when we did the album and we just signed to Geffen Records, we would kind of you know hope that we'd do quite well. We we booked a fairly modest tour based on who was in the band, um, and of course, lo and behold. Um, a couple of months later, when the album came out, you know, it literally just flew right to the top of the top of the album chart, and uh, you know, the demand for Asia was enormous right across America. You know, you could not spin a, you couldn't turn on a radio station without hearing one of the tracks from the album. Um, so it did, you know, it was a massive snowball effect, and I think that um, uh, we suddenly moved from being, you know, a kind of idea that we were going to play in theatres we, we moved straight into arenas and uh, you know as you say the stadiums and all that kind of thing so it was it was good times you know I think that um, everybody you know, was surprised by how successful it was and uh, um, but you know having said that I think that you know when you when you actually go back and look at that first album the, 
the eponymous album, I think that um, uh, you will say that, that it, it actually you can understand why people liked it. Yeah, it, it really had, it was a tremendous musical masterpiece, and you're certainly no small part to that. I mean, it was a great contribution. The melodies in these and the songs from the Asia's first cup two albums for sure, and certainly the Buggles of the Age of Plastic, I owe in large part to your keyboard playing. I just wanted to mention that. Um, so, okay, sure. well, I mean, it's my pleasure. Uh, so, just to close tonight, what has been the highlight of your career so far? Well, I think it's very hard to actually put that down to any specific moment. I, I think that there are, there are things that happen daily, you know, that you think, well, this is, you know, this is a real honor or this is a real privilege. Uh, um, I mean, obviously, I think I think when, when, when Video Killed the Radio Star first came out, I remember hearing that on the radio, on Capital Radio, um, for the first time. And it was on a, they used to have a show in the afternoon called The People's Choice, and they used to play... Um, uh, you know, new releases from from various artists, and uh, uh, and the, uh, it was on the People's Choice. They used to play, I think, they used to play um, something like ten songs uh, during the course of the afternoon, and people would phone in with their, um, you know, with their with their, their selection. Uh, and I remember. Uh, Listening to the show one 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 day, and it was it's basically the sort of the London main London radio show, and and Video Killer Radio Star came on, and it was a, just it was a, a kind of a chilling moment, you know, gave me a lot of goosebumps because I think, wow, that's my my music is there, you know, it's on the radio, and then uh, it just went crazy from there. People called in, and, and, and it, it was the you know top rated show. What the hell was that? You know, never had anything like that in my life. <laughs> All this sort of stuff. So it was it. I think that that moment meant you know meant something to me that I'd actually moved into not just you know not just being a musician that was working in the background and, and you know a jobbing musician. All of a sudden, it told me that that um, you know it was uh, there was something more uh, to be had in the in, in the grand scheme of things. And um, and so that that, that to me. Was probably the most defining moment I think that uh, that I can remember. Jeff, it's really been a privilege and an honor to have interviewed you to, interviewed you tonight. I really appreciate your time. Good luck to you with Yes and the tour on the on the ongoing tour. I hope you have a lot of fun with that. And thanks very much for joining us here on. Yeah, the well, well, okay. Thank you very much. Good night. Oh, no problem. Take care. Jeff Downs, our guest here in the city, Locks of the Week Radio. It really was it was really just great to interview him and hear his insight. It's tremendous insight regarding the development of MTV and the development of his work with three pretty memorable bands. Hope you all enjoyed that here in the city.
You're listening to Dave in the City, Locks of the Week Radio, celebrating our 30th anniversary of MTV, the 30th anniversary MTV special, brought to you today by Locks of the Week Radio and blogtalkradio.com. I'm Dave Medina, joined by my co-host, John Ogg. John, I... Let me see if he's there. John, welcome back. We want to welcome you back into the program. How how, how did you enjoy Jeff's insight on the really the birth of MTV, the development of vi- of videos, and his own work with, as I mentioned, three very very good bands. And I was certainly obviously that was an understatement when I said pretty good bands. These are amazing bands, to be honest with you. Uh, John, welcome back. Thank you. I I thought the interview went great. And I really want to uh, thank Jeff Downs and the uh, publicists for Jeff because uh, it, it sounded great. And, uh, yeah, I, I was always a fan of uh, Asia especially and their first few uh, albums. And I, everything went great. Well, I'm glad to hear that, John. And, and really, it's just, I think what we all share, Jeff, my, yourself, and myself, is the passion for music, and specifically the passion for the new wave of music that came about in the early 1980s. And I think that's a lot of what drove this station, uh, the station being MTV, obviously, and its videos. And it really shows in the enthusiasm that you'll hear, even from people today, regarding this music. And I think even the new generation, younger people, can appreciate these songs. And I don't suppose... It really gets old. It'll get dated. It'll certainly look a little corny in, in spots, but I don't think it truly ever gets old, does it? No, and every, everything will uh, come back eventually. It's a good point, John. And so we we commemorate this day, and to do that, we want to open up the telephone lines to all of you at 424-258-9251. And although we are going to focus tonight on the launch of MTV, the birthing of it, the the infancy of the, of the network, we certainly will welcome thoughts about your memories of MTV and whenever you were watching MTV. And this goes on, this goes on through the 80s, into the 90s, and up through the 2000s where we live today in 2011. And there's a lot to be had, a lot of big moments, great memorable things that happened. Uh, as far as MTV on the whole, what were some of your favorite memories of MTV through the first five years, at least. Well, there's. I, I wrote down a list, uh, a rough list anyway, of some of the videos that really stuck out in my mind. And they may not, may not be my favorite songs of all time, but uh, like Talking Heads, Once in a Lifetime, is a really strange video. It's really memorable. Uh, David Byrne, and he has like a blue screen behind him, and... He's doing all sorts of strange hand movements. Um, <laughs> Take On Me by AHA is another one that's a really inventive video. And uh, Dire Straits, Money for Nothing. I don't know, it seems that a lot of the videos that were inventive at the time used some kind of cartoon or cartoonish effects in the videos. But there was, uh, I'm trying to think of some others that were... Uh, one that isn't a cartoonish type thing is um, In the Air Tonight by Phil Collins. I always remember that video. It was kind of creepy back when I was young. No, definitely. I mean, it really does resonate. And 
It does have that little bit of an eerie vibe to it, doesn't it? I mean, you hear it in the song, but seeing the video really punctuates the same. And so it really gives you an idea of, of where of where the tech, where the where the medium was going or where what it could do. And what's funny is that that song that you mentioned in the air tonight, that actually aired on day 1. You it's a very timeless song because when I first heard it, it was obviously many years later. I did not realize it was that old. I did not think it was a 1981 song. I thought it may have been a 1986 song or a 1987 song, but it gives you an idea how far ahead of his time Phil Collins was with his uh, with his recording techniques, his double tracking of his voice and things like that. It's pretty neat. It's pretty neat to see something like that stand the test of time. Yeah, it, it, he and that video was on for you would see it like two or three times a day mm-hmm. for the first couple of years because the song like you said is very memorable and uh, the video is very memorable as well. It, it it's very and and I think the videos really do set the groundwork, the foundation, the meat and potatoes for this network or it did back in the back when it was starting. But what I think that was what I think that MTV did, which was pretty smart, was augment this with some original material, music news, keeping things current. And in part of keeping things current, they went out of their way and tried to interview some of the big named performers of the day. When MTV launched in August 1981, the biggest hit on the charts was Jesse's Girl by Rick Springfield. And we had a chance to, I've, I've conjured up this footage of MTV's own Martha Quinn interviewing Rick Springfield way back in 1981. Most of the audience that is familiar with Jesse's Girl, to a lot of people that is your first big hit, but you've been playing rock and roll for a long time. How did you get into music? Um, I was into music when I was about 12, 13 when I started to got my first guitar, you know, the old story. Except I sawed mine in half since I got it, so that's not quite... You sawed it in half? Yeah. Why? Um, well, see, at the time, the Shadows were the big band to me. It was just before the Beatles came out, and, and, and I used to cut out cardboard guitars, and, but they're all red. They're, they're like they're all fenders. They're red, and they're real thin, so I got this big boxy guitar, so I... Thought it wasn't too cool, so I sawed it in half, like lengthwise, to make it thinner to try and make it look a little cooler. But did it sound like? No, anything? it didn't really work um, very well after that. So um, they made my parents made me save up and buy my own after that. Rick Springfield with Martha Quinn on MTV back in 1981. This is about the time that the uh, Jesse's Girl song came out. Actually, not only came out, but it hit, it peaked, and. What's remarkable about that is is the, is the relative innocence of not only the not only the interview subject Rick, but also the interview interviewer in Martha Quinn. And, and, you have, and one of the, the funny the fun story about Martha Quinn is that she came out of Albany, just barely coming out of college, about the age of twenty two, and after handling some odd jobs she was recruited and hired by MTV to become a face of the network and she became really one of the great faces of the network and as we bring back our co-host John Ogg from from Georgia uh, Martha Quinn seemed to be the sweetheart of everybody watching MTV I mean uh, tell me a little more about what you uh, about your impressions about first seeing her and her impact on on the network oh, she seemed like the girl next door she seemed like a very personable person, somebody that you, you would actually talk, you know, that would talk with you. She didn't seem above it all, you know, like uh, a big celebrity. And uh, she she was just a really great VJ. 
Yeah, you bet. Dave in the City with John Ogg on the 30th, an MTV 30th anniversary special. Your number to call is 424-258-9251. We have a caller now, John, and joining us on the program, 412 Area Code. Let's see if I can get this on the air. All right, we have you on the air. Welcome to the program, sir. What is your name and where are you calling from? My name is Demore Fulmore, and I'm calling from Verona, Pennsylvania. Hey, terrific. I, I, I recognize you from the I Want My MTV 1981 through 1996 uh, Facebook group. It's good to hear from you. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. Very good, very good. So uh, we're we're, certain, we're running down our own memories of the of the early days of MTV. When you, what was your first MTV experience like? How do you remember? For your, your, what were your first memories of the of the network, and how did it, how did it, what is it? How did it change you? How did it impact your life? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, I was born being the smart baby I was. You know, I was born on October third, nineteen eighty two. I didn't care less about who my family was or where I was living at. But when I first heard the uh, the intro, the MTV Top the Hour theme, that da da I was just going away. I was like, what was that? Like, what is this coming from? <laughs> and then I heard a voice saying, and we were watching MTV music television 24 hours a day in stereo and I was like what is what is, what is this MTV thing you know just like everybody else was discovering it I was just like really there's a music video channel 24 hours a day playing videos but um and then all of a sudden you know there was this video um you probably might remember stepping out by Joe Jackson oh my um, goodness it was yeah, it was something that just blew me away. It was like, oh, man, you know, you have Joe Jackson, the guy who had the shoes on the album cover, the Gold Short album cover, where he just him with his shoes, which is him with his shoes on. And he's like, wow, this is amazing. I love the how you have a great song on film, you know, for like three, four minutes of it. And it was amazing, and it just changed my life forever. It's like, that's something I wanted to do, you know. want to make videos, videos like that. I wanted to be on MTV back, especially in the early days where, at the time, you know, we discovered ads. Like, like with new ads, like the Straight Cats, Duran Duran, Men at Work, who had little, no radio airplay in the United States. You finally see them on MTV was like, oh man, you know, I want to know where can I get the album, man? Where can I get the album from? Or, you know, when is it going to come out? When in, even some of the ads um, that like David Bowie, The Stones, even Robert Plant, when he was doing running down one side, where you didn't know anything about the early stuff. You didn't know anything about Thinking Stardust or Satisfaction or Stairway to Heaven. Like, you just knew them from the videos, but once you get to realize what they're coming from, like, you never, like, any documentary about them or conscious or everything, that was it. It was like, okay, I see what they're coming from. But it changed my life forever. It makes me want to become a musician because of those parts. 
Well, that is amazing insight, Damar. I really appreciate you sharing that with us. And, you know, you brought up a really good point as far as making videos. You know, you may see on YouTube some some old footage of people trying to make their own music videos. And it was clear that the that many people throughout the land were inspired by MTV and music videos on the whole to make their own. Did you ever try making your own? I mean, that, I've always wondered about that. Have you, did you make a stab at it? Like, what did it come? How did it look? Uh, well, I have made my own little video that I say probably around ninety ninety one over my granddad's house, but mm-hmm. it, it, took, <laughs> it was it was just one of those little moments where it's like, okay, I'm going to try to be, you know, an act, you know, see if I can do a dance or something like that. But um but other than that, it was knowing that now I'm want to do play music seriously I want to do the kind of videos that I grew up watching whereas nowadays it's just all about you know girls shaking their butts wearing you know shorts and skirts and tank tops and a bunch of rappers who look like muffins on acid <laughs> or something like that <laughs> <laughs> you know, wearing grills and everything I've, and I've it's been good that you mentioned that because when I watch videos now, I just don't get excited as it was back then, you know, where you see videos from like David Bowie or Peter Gabriel, where it was all artistic, and or bands like The Fix or Duran Duran, where they make it storytelling videos, and that's something I would like to, like to do, making either artistic or storytelling videos like that. No, absolutely right. Uh, John, any questions you had for Damara, who's calling in tonight? Had the, the very kindness, uh, very kind to call into the program and share his thoughts with us. John? No, I, I think he's doing a great job. All right, well. I'm going to you know, from. And Demar- <laughs> Damar, I think it's really great that you were you took time out to, to check in with us tonight. Um, I imagine you've been privy to a lot of the festivities, and you know you've heard you've heard from some of the original MTV VJs, the ones who are still surviving. JJ Jackson is no longer with us, and he really was a, a tremendous. And if you can hang on the line for a second here, Damar, he was really a tremendous uh, a person and an engaging personality and a very very well seasoned uh, veteran of the music industry and radio too. I remember that. My first rec- memory of him isn't really with MTV at all. I, I kind of came into this world later. But he was with KLOS to, to, into his dying days. And when he died, there was a huge, huge story in the LA Times about it. And they really went into detail about what he used to do with MTV. It really was remarkable. Uh, you know, JJ just had a real, a real authority over the channel, over his, over his hosting duties, over interviews. He was an um, incredible calming influence and I think that was really valuable to the success of the program of the, of the network oh yeah yeah I mean with JJ I mean he, with him I mean it was to who was point just to have you know a brother on MTV that has told everything about music in general not just rock music but music in general so and the good thing Another good thing about JJ as well is like he's real good friends with so many artists like the guys from The Who, guys from Zeppelin, and even Rod Stewart. As a matter of fact, you know, he's even on the poster of Rod's uh, Foolish Behavior album as well. 
Now, I did not know that. That's interesting. And Foolish Behavior came out about the time of MTV's launch, so that's a very, very interesting factoid indeed. Uh, John, I mean, your, your memories of J.J. Jackson, and he certainly was an incredible. In fact, uh, John, actually, really quickly, before we get you, we, before we get you on, um, I want to play this. This to give you an idea of the just the um, incredible range of personality that JJ had. This is from a from a report that he was doing during one of the MTV news segments uh, during his shift. This was a, this was years ago, obviously, regarding the Rolling Stones' quest for a star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Now everyone knows the Rolling Stones are very big stars, so why haven't they got a star with their name on it on Hollywood's Walk of Fame? That's what I want to know. You know, the Walk of Fame is actually right down Hollywood Boulevard. Also includes Vine Street, where you have the stars placed in the street. Most of the people you see there are movie stars: John Wayne, Gary Cooper, Marilyn Monroe, people like that. There are a few musical stars as well: Crosby, Stills and Nash, Fleetwood Mac, Elton John, Beatles. But no Rolling Stones. They're conspicuous in a way for their absence. They've been turned down year after year by the Star Committee. Now, one California fan has decided to go one step further and see if he can push it in. He's going to flood the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce with cards and letters asking for a star, and hopefully they'll get one in June. Now, if you would like to help him in his efforts, here's an address that you'd need, because they should have a star in Hollywood Boulevard. In fact, they should have one, let's see, right by, where would you put it? Maybe right by La Brea. That's really good. That's really, I mean, that's just a really humorous and yet very passionate statement from our friend Jay, from, well, not our friend, but from, from J.J. Jackson, who's been kind of a friend over the TV, but over the, over the years on MTV. It really gives you an idea of just how personable he was. And John, when you talk about J.J. Jackson and what he's, what he's brought to the channel, he brought a, I, I would have to, I would argue that he brought an air of credibility to a channel that was otherwise very, very experimental. What'd you say? I I would agree with you. He could speak to anyone from Rod Stewart to the band Kiss to uh, just about any other kind of band, and it would sound very classy. And uh, he, he, like you said, he he was more mature uh, as far as the business goes than the others, and uh, he lent very much a a, a, a lot of credibility to the uh, station. Certainly right, John. I'm, this is Dave Medina with John Ogg hosting the 30th anniversary po- MTV podcast here in the city on Locks of the Week Radio. We're actually joined tonight by a member of the I Want My MTV 1981 through 1996 uh, Facebook group. His name is Damar, and he's calling in tonight um, out of the kindness of his heart to share his thoughts on MTV. Any final thoughts about MTV or JJ or any of the other VJs? Who was your favorite VJ of the original five, by the way? Right. It just shows that you know he, 
is really a really well that is really well put tomorrow i really that is it's really i really kind of brings it all home doesn't it it really shows that there can be a little levity to the format of video music which otherwise would could be construed as as john was saying in the form of artistic expression but at the same time yeah it it was but you can also poke fun at it which i think makes a lot of sense and i think that really helped bring it together and it really brought it into a new means but damar um it's really great to have you on tonight. Thank you very much for joining us on the program. Uh, actually, if you ever, if, if we ever do this again, I'd be sure to let be sure to invite you on again sometime. Oh yeah, definitely. And hopefully, once I be, make it big, maybe I will come in and hang out with y'all and uh, talk about MTV more often. That sounds like a plan, my friend. All right, bud. Take care. Have a good night. Damar in Pennsylvania joining us here on the program, sharing his MTV thoughts. John, it really is it really is funny, just the diversity that you had, even with the hosts. And I think I want to bring that up because the kind of hosts that you have had five more or less wildly divergent personalities, and it's just it's startling how how that is so different from what you see today, where everybody has to meet the same basic laundry list of requirements, and they also have to fit this image. And I think that I think television and the media on the, and the entire media suffers because of everybody wanting to conform and be the same. It doesn't really fit with me. And to give you an idea, we just heard from J.J. Jackson just a moment ago. Listen to another VJ conducting a first ever interview with Madonna on MTV. This is the first time she ever appeared on MTV in an interview. This is Mark Goodman circa 1984. Mark Goodman here this afternoon for JJ. I lucked out. Um, Madonna decided to drop by, and if JJ were on the air, he'd be doing this one. Oh. How are you this afternoon? I'm very well. Uh, we've been seeing actually a couple of your videos here mm-hmm. for a while, and people may not be aware that although you were born in Detroit, you're a New York resident yeah. now, but you wound up going to England to get your first big acceptance. Why do you think? I, well, actually, I went to Paris. Oh. Uh, um, and why did I go there? Is that you going to ask? That was, gonna ask I was going to ask why you thought you had to go to Europe first. And I didn't think why? I had to. It's just that um, when I first came to New York, I was a dancer, and a French record label offered me um, a recording contract, and I had to go to Paris to do it. So I went there, and that's how I really got in the music business. That was Mark Goodman on uh, on interviewing Madonna for the first time on MTV. Sorry for that technical glitch, by the way, for those of you on Blog Talk Radio. I just realized I was muting my microphone, but in muting the microphone, I'm also mu- muting my throughput through uh, through the audio system, so I have rectified that now. Um, in fact, I will be sure that that doesn't happen again, so I apologize for that as we go forth in the, on the program. But in any case, you get the idea that that... Mark Goodman's interview style, a little different than that of J.J. Jackson. And actually, to be fair, he, would, he sounded a little nervous doing this interview with Madonna. Who wouldn't be? She, she was definitely a, I don't know, a, a, a bit of a temptress, if we, if we could say. John, John is back with us now. Uh, comment a little bit about Madonna and her, break, and her breakout 
well, her breakout career on MTV and how that impacted the uh, impacted the entire music industry. Yeah, well, she was huge, and uh, her and Michael Jackson and Prince all seemed to uh, get it together at the same time, and uh, basically took over MTV for several years. But they were uh, huge, and and the videos, especially Madonna's, she always had a different look or a different, uh, you know, type of video. Her her videos were always out there, and uh, so was, so were Prince's and uh, Michael Jackson's, and they really just ruled the airwaves on MTV from about '83 to uh, '87, all three of them. And do you remember when Madonna had her video perform her dance performance of "Like a Virgin" during the MTV Video Music Awards? It may have been the first of them in 1984, and she came out on a wedding cake and started rolling around on the floor, and it was just so out there, and yet so in some in some moral circles it was so wrong. I mean, did you get the sense that she was sort of pushing the envelope with her performance? This is actually kind of a silly question, but (laughs) but still, I'll ask it anyway. Did you feel that she was the kind of person that wanted to push boundaries? Oh, of course. And uh, she really loved pushing them at, at all times. And I, I remember watching that uh, first VH, or the first uh, music video awards, had some crazy performances, and, and she was among them. No doubt about it. There were a lot of performances that were made in this in, in, on MTV over the years, and this is the one thing that I think was missed by the MTV 30 retrospective that went up, that uh, aired over this weekend on a VH1 Classic. They did show a lot of that, but they didn't show enough of it from the first five years. And I think we would be remiss if we did not recognize the concerts, performances, and interviews that c- took place in the formative years of MTV. And there were some good highlights, including specials, which would run during the weekends and concerts, as we mentioned before. One such special was Billy Joel's Night School a special uh, from 1983, and this is actually part of a masterclass series he'd been doing basically since he started. 1973, he did his first one, I believe. And so what he does is he goes to he goes to performance halls and meets with students or other people who are interested in the industry and takes Q&A. In so doing, he performs on the piano some of his some excerpts, excerpts from his own work and other other works just to illustrate. How what goes into the process of music making? But one such, one funny moment from this was a bit uh, again a moment of levity regarding how you write or how you write the words and lyrics of a song. Check this out. There's nothing wrong with writing the lyrics first, but for me it didn't work. I'm always inspired by melody because I grew up when you heard songs on the radio. I never knew what the words were. Uh, my Sharona this day. So, when you're gonna sandwich up. And then you'd wait. Here it comes. My Sharona. Everybody knows that, right? The hook. You know, this was a point in time in Billy Joel's career when he was really getting big. And I think 1983 was right about the time An Innocent Man was coming out, which would have been one of his most unusual albums yet but every album he does is a little different from the last and he was in between the very serious and 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 very poetic nature of the nylon curtain to the jovial nature of an innocent man 
And it kind of, you really could sense the happiness in his voice doing the special. And I think I know why, John. I mean, I think, could you tell, do you, do you know why, too? Uh, he just loves connecting with his audience. And I remember being to, I went to one of the master classes in uh, 93, I believe. He played at the uh, University of South Florida, a little tiny theater, about 1,000 people or 1,500. And it was amazing being that close and hearing the music, you know, that close. And uh, But, yeah, MTV, you know, you were mentioning the specials and that. They, they didn't do a lot of uh, alternate programming, but what they did, a lot of it was geared towards music. You know, you had Headbangers Ball and... Uh, they had remote control, which I enjoyed. It was on a few years mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, and I think you, people were saying remote control was the first program that didn't involve music, but that's only partially true. I mean, they had Sing Along with Colin as one of the channels on that program, so uh, one of the categories. So it never completely detached itself from music even then at that point in time. It was a, that was a pretty crazy show and a very sarcastic show, kind of a twisted sense of humor, uh, going back to the Billy Joel special, though, for a second, it it, it really does show you uh, that MTV at that point in time, which is 1983, kept an ear on the older generation. This was this wasn't fairness pre VH1, so VH1 didn't come out yet. But but I did respect that, and I I honestly appreciate that because it connects things to the present. And recognizing the past is important in music to really gain more and learn and, and make more of it. And I think it's unfortunate that MTV slowly, gradually got away from that. But they never truly completely detached itself from that until about the mid-90s. And now I don't have a clip of this, but John, do you remember in about the early 90s when you would see artists such as, you know, artists like Mariah Carey was new to the scene and Nirvana new to the scene do Unplugged series. But do you also remember... That a similar series, a similar program was done for the MTV Unplugged series by Eric Clapton. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. I was, watched it. That was a pretty good series. And then the Eagles did one, and it, it just really gave you another dimension to music. It really connected the past with the present, putting a you know a classic recording like Layla, in the case of Eric Clapton, into the present day with an acoustic rendition. And even Eric said himself during the program that it was a very unusual twist that he had never even considered in all the years he'd been doing music. And just to, to make that change was really refreshing. And I think that that was what MTV was. It was continuously changing and evolving and becoming refreshing. Um, any other highlights that you can point to in terms of twists in music, things like that, the Unplugged series, anything of that nature? Yeah, I, I really like the Unplugged series. And uh, they... You know, it's it's always different when when you hear them uh, with just the acoustic guitars. Sometimes the songs sound totally different. Sometimes they sound a lot better. Uh, I know Nirvana's. I'm, I wasn't a really huge Nirvana fan, but uh, their Unplugged was really good. Yeah, definitely. And this in from Tommy, New Jersey. He he tells us that Pearl Jam had a classic Unplugged session as well, and I agree with that. I mean, that was a it was a really it really showcases how talented these people really are. Anybody can be talented with their production techniques or their wizardry or their, or their distorted electronics, but if you take it all away, how good are you really? 
and the unplugged session really showcased where how just how good an artist could be. Now, John, imagine today doing an unplugged. What Lady Gaga unplugged? Actually, it would be pretty good. I shouldn't say that, but but think of let me think of one that would be pretty terrible unplugged. Katy Perry gotcha. unplugged. <laughs> that would be pathetic, actually. To be honest. <laughs> oh man, could you imagine that? Kesha unplugged would be pretty bad, probably. Yeah, I know you're right. Say, yeah, Katy Katy Perry probably unplugged would probably be pretty bad as well. <laughs> oh my goodness, would that be? Yeah, it would be pretty bad. You know, you take out. I mean, just things that they've. It's kind of gotten a little on hand. I don't want to make this an editorial, but I do think that music has. I understand that you always want to use technology to to improve and also to to innovate with music but i think now they're just using it as a compensation tool as and as the tool for music and at some point it's no longer music it's just it, it's a kind of expression and it can even be artistic but i don't know if it's really music musical and i think that's where the problems begin right for example the even the hip-hop genre which had long been well well documented well storied but if it starts to devolve into simply party music and then it's no longer musical it just becomes a little bit monotonous, if we could say. But that's a conversation for another time. This is Dave in the City on Locks of the Week Radio celebrating MTV's 30th anniversary. Their launch, amazingly, was 30 years ago, and I guess at this point, 30 years ago and 23 hours um, on this date in 1981. So it's it's really, it's just really been a real thrill to um, bring this to you all. And again, we want to let you know that if you missed it, we had a conversation with the Buggles' Jeff Downs earlier on this program. And if you do want to listen to it again, you can tune into our podcast at daveinthecity.podbean.com. We hope you get to enjoy that. John, uh, let's, uh, I'm going to keep the phone lines open at 424-258-9251. But as we do, I just wanted to know if you had any other thoughts you had about MTV's second stage, which would be basically about the point where music videos themselves started to get a little stale and again the, and the genre started to wear out and the music and, and, and let's say hair bands for example started to run their course this is about the late 80s into the early 90s it was starting to get a little old and they had to innovate and they were innovating but comment a little bit about how that change in in MTV's shift and focus really well first of all comment on why they did it how they did it and then whether you thought it was for the better. Well, I, I, I might not be a good uh, judge because I was a, well, not a hair band, but uh, I listened to a lot of heavy metal. And, right. Uh, a lot of it did get repetitive. You know, people would get have a hit and then you'd see five other bands look like them and sound like them have other hits. So, yeah, I guess people just got tired of, the hair band and metal stuff the end of the 80s and when grunge came in that just uh ended hair metal or metal music for the time being and uh all the hair bands went away <laughs> scurrying away <laughs> no doubt and and i think one of the things about that that evolved from that was grunge rock which was tremendous but unfortunately grunge rock was really a whole back to basics campaign which meant that image was probably the least important part of aspect of their of their of their psyche and the problem is that it was reflected in the videos it just didn't really show much pizzazz and i think it goes back to demar's point when he was calling earlier he didn't really he kind of saw 
uh, a little bit of a move away from the artistic. But this was pretty artistic back in the day. We're going to take a quick break on the program and then return and go back to our MTV's formative years in the city. But, you know, everyone talks about the first video. Everyone says, oh, the first video is Video Killed the Radio Star of the Buggles. Oh, it's the first video. The first video. But, John, what was the second video that ever aired on MTV? It was Pat Benatar, You Better Run. You got it right. And, uh, and, and it's really funny because it gets overlooked. Everyone says, well, it's the first video, and then what happened second? But this was a pretty good video in its own right. Take a listen. Pretty good stuff, Hud. All right. Pat Bennett's are here on the program um, featuring the second video ever played on MTV. Could you, and that, that striped shirt that she wore, the, the, yeah, the white and black stripes on the shirt, that was pretty unfor- that was pretty unforgettable too, in a sense. It sort of was her own uh, little look there. And I actually, to be honest with you, I never really seen the video until I saw a clip of MTV's first hour, but that was pretty remarkable. She really had it down. I mean, I think one thing I, I caught, I, I noticed from hearing interviews with Pat Benatar over the years is that she said she wanted to be a rock star. She didn't want to be a girl singer. She didn't want to be a girl performer in the in the theme of, I don't know, let me think. Uh, I mean, even Carol King or perhaps a, uh, I'm trying to think of others, or, you know, like Barbara Streisand or Linda Ronstadt. No, she wanted to be, she wanted to be a rocker. And I think she was, she held true to that and it worked for the better. And, I, I mean, you know, you think of Pat Benatar, you do think, oh, well, she's very pretty, she's, she's uh, got the amazing moves, but don't you think, well, this is a rock and roll star? Doesn't that, isn't that the impression you get? Oh, of course. She, she sounded really rock, and uh, another one at the time uh, was uh, Joan Jett, was very rockish. Oh, Joan Jett, yeah. She took that to another level. I love rock and roll. Or how about uh, Crimson and Clover? Or or later, obviously. I can't, what was it? I Hate Myself for Loving You, which is uh, just an incredible song. Very, very, it just had a big voice to it. It was just an incredible song. That that came out much later, though. Yeah, no, those are good. That's a very good point. Do you ever get them mixed up? Sometimes I do. Pat Benatar and Joan Jett, I kind of mix them up. But uh, there are distinctive, distinct characters and distinct personalities as well. But uh, I... But they're both very, very influential in the progression of rock music for the female, uh, for the female genre, wouldn't you say? Oh, of course. And MTV, that when they first started, had a good grouping of women artists. Uh, they had Joan Jett and Pat Benatar, and then you had Madonna and Cyndi Lauper. So there was all types of music and uh, looks were covered. Yeah. Years. Oh, absolutely right. And a quick note on Pat Benatar, since she had been very influential. She's actually, I mean, you could even say she was the early queen of of MTV. The queen, the king, I guess, would be Rod Stewart, since his videos are on every five minutes. But 
she had been on so much, and she had so much material too, and she even continued it with "Love Is a Battlefield." And um, I don't remember if she did once for she did videos for "Heartbreaker" and "Hit Me with Your Best Shot," but she certainly did for. Uh, let me see. Uh, Lead me on, I believe. Anyway, the point is, she is still touring today, 30 years after the fact. She's still married, by the way, to Neil Gerardo, who she calls Spider. And they go on tour from time to time, and they're on tour now. As a matter of fact, they're here in California. On the 3rd of August, they'll be in Costa Mesa, California, at the Pacific Amphitheater. And this is great. John, check this out. August the 5th, they're going to be in my home digs in Ventura, California at the Ventura County Fair. That is, that is fun. I might, I might check that out, actually. So that'd be pretty interesting stuff there. Yeah, I'm sure she puts on a good show. She's been doing it for many years. That's there was tr- other videos of hers that were pretty uh, memorable. Uh, Shadows of the Night and Hit Me With Your Best Shot. She had a lot of really good videos. Yeah, she did. I mean, the the number of them is also pretty enormous. I think she's just had so many. It's no wonder that you would often associate her with MTV as well. And I think that's that's the true to be that's true to to say. Now, I would certainly be incomplete if I did not mention the King of Pop and his not only impact on MTV but his ability to really bring it into the mainstream. And we're talking about Michael Jackson and. His uh, first video was Billie Jean. It was, there were a little bit, there was a little bit of social overtone, civil rights overtones, if you may, if I'm, if maybe, if you could say so. There was a bit of a tussle between Rick James and the network because he felt that Rick James got a, Rick James felt he got a raw deal when it came to releasing Super Freak on MTV. It just wasn't fitting the format at the time, but somehow Michael Jackson worked as a crossover for what was at the time a rock and roll based channel. He released Billie Jean. It was a great, it was a, obviously a tremendous album. I mean, a tremendous a single and video. And then came the really, just came a monolith of videos that I, that I don't know if we've ever see, we'll ever see again, John. And I think you know what I'm talking about. We're talking about Michael Jackson's Thriller, which was just a movie within a movie within a music video. And it just, the whole thing went about 15 minutes. And I was like, how did this end up on a video channel? It just was incredible. It was like, it wasn't even a video. It was like an entire production. Were you absolutely shocked when you first saw this video on MTV? Oh, it it was a big buzz. You know, they would tell tell everyone, you know, weeks from now, we're going to have the thriller video. And they made such a big deal of it. And... uh, you know, people took it for granted, but when it came out, it was just amazing. I mean, I thought Billy Jean was an amazing video, but he, he did a lot of amazing videos. But the Thriller one, he liked doing those movie-type videos. You know, he did that other one for uh, Bad, which was another 15-minute video. <laughs> and he had actors like uh, Wesley Snipes was in it. And I think uh, John Landis did the... Uh, thriller video directed it that's correct he did the thriller video and i yesterday i watched the video in its entirety i'm like holy moly this thing is is incredible it's just it was i'm a little surprised that that they allowed this to be so long but at the same time it really i mean if it didn't work it would have been a disaster but michael jackson had the touch and he made it work it was just incredible um now we had a request to play thriller on the program but for reasons that are obvious in terms of litigation i don't think i can that would be really tough to do 
But you know what I can do? I can play I can play the other song that was really big at that time, and this one featured Eddie Van Halen. Check this out. Did you like that? Little clip of oh, beat. Oh, yeah. That's a good song right there. Man. All right. I have to cut it off there. Otherwise, I'm going to be getting, I'm going to be hearing from Sony Music Corporation. You don't want to get a letter in. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. <laughs> Just like Mike doing the play-by-play. No, no, sir. No, sir. But but my I, I don't think Michael Jackson's impact on music and MTV can be understated. He had been an event He's like the Super Bowl of music artists, and whenever he'd release a new video, everybody just was on hands and ne- hands and feet. I'm sorry, and pins and needles, just waiting for it. It happened when he released Moonwalker. It happened even way up until he started to release Black and White. Although that was, I don't know if that was on MTV or if that was on Fox. I think it was released on Fox first, but nonetheless, he just was incredible. I mean, everybody really just went for him. He was the biggest thing in pop music in the mid '80s. Was there anybody bigger than Michael Jackson at that time? No. The only people that came close, I, I would think, would be Madonna and Prince. And, and they the, all ruled MTV. Yeah, I think so. And, and Thriller, Odin's in no small part due to MTV, was the, at, at least for a long, long time, the greatest selling album in, in recorded history. And that is incredible because... It, it, when, you, when you listen to the album today, you're like, oh, that's a big hit, and that's a big hit, and that's a big hit, and that's a big hit. There were nine songs on the album, and I think eight of them really hit it big on the Top 40 chart. And that is something you just cannot say about any album today. No. No, no, no records are selling these days. You're lucky if you get a million seller. No doubt about it. And so it really brings us to a close tonight. And I want to thank everybody for joining us, from DeMar in Pennsylvania joining in, for Jeff Downs joining in, for yourself joining in, John. I just want to see if you had any final thoughts regarding MTV and what it means to us today. Anything you had to add, anything you wanted to conclude with tonight before we go? No, I've just really enjoyed it. I thought the interview was great. And uh, I really loved MTV uh, through the 90s, but... uh, they, they've kind of disappointed me lately. I know the the younger kids like the Jersey Shore stuff and and all that, but uh, I, I like uh, thinking back to my younger days of when they played music most of the time. No, I understand that, John. It, it completely makes sense. And I think for me, I can understand why MTV went in the direction it did. MTV continues to be wildly successful today. And I think just like the logo that was devised by a guy by the name of Mr. Olinsky and by the uh, Fred, by uh, Manhattan Design and Fred Siebert. This whole artistic and creative and visual campaign for MTV, the I Want My MTV commercials, the logo, the little station IDs that were animated in low fidelity style, all this contributed to a theme, and it was change. Things were changing. Technology was changing. You were getting new videotape machines. TVs were getting bigger. Things were changing. Your graphics are getting more advanced. Computers were getting faster. Things were changing everywhere. 
politics were changing, the Cold War was coming in, and he was getting to a fever pitch too. I mean, I think let's make that that should be clear. I mean, you saw it with Alphaville's uh, Forever Young, but 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 still, things were happening, and and the world was changing every day. MTV really represented that change as, be- as best as anything I've ever seen in my life. And through the years, whatever I grew up with, whether it was remote control in the beginning or Beavis and Butthead or, or things like fashionably loud or, or what was it, singled out programs that would come through the ages, there was music in the, the backbone behind it. Now, that music no longer exists. I understand that. But MTV has always been a beacon and a voice for the young generation. Was it corporate-driven? Of course it was. It was corporate-driven from the very beginning, even from its very earliest days. I saw a promo clip from Warner Amex, a corporate Amex satellite company, talking about how it can increase its units and sell ad revenue, and it had the MTV VJ speaking in very, in very, very accountant-like tones. But that never deterred from its, from its, from its ingenuity, from its imagination, and from its message. And the message was. This is your, this is, let's be, let's express ourselves. Let's be, let's be proud of being young. Let's not try to be ashamed of it. Let's all be us. Let's be ourselves. And whatever the generation, the new generation brings, I think MTV is going to be there for them no matter what happens. And I think that's a good place to end. John, really, it's been great having you on tonight. Again, I really want to thank you. Um, Have a good evening and thanks again for co-hosting with me tonight, my friend. Thank you, Dave. And everyone, have a good night. And I wish to wish you all a very good night as well. It's been really a lot of fun. Thanks again one more last time to our friend Jeff Downs, who joined us on the program. It's really been a lot of fun. And uh, wherever the VJs who started this program are now, Mark, Nina, Alan, Martha, and even up in the heavens, JJ, we hope that they all can look down and see the the world as it changed with the help of one little TV channel. Thanks again for joining us tonight. We'll see you next time. <laughs>